Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. She's got them moves like Jagger. She's got them moves like Jagger. She's got them moves like Jagger. All right, you ready for the word this morning? Say amen. Amen. All right, we're getting ready to go into Thanksgiving week. And so if I don't see you again after today, I would like to wish a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And how many of you are traveling over the next week or so? Sweet, just the front row. Okay. The rest of you enjoy not traveling because I wish I was not traveling. That would be awesome. But all of my family almost all lives other places. And so we have to travel to go see my side of the family. But safe travels to everyone. Have a happy holiday. But we're going to talk about kind of this Thanksgiving week, and we're going to bring back something that I've done before, but I think is really important as a culture for the exchange. Um, And a lot of you may know this, but it's generally easier to know what to do than what to believe, okay? Now think about this as I say it. Not, Not always, but in most realms, it's easier to figure out what to do than what to believe. It's th- it's easier to figure out the right thing to do oftentimes than the right thing to believe. Uh, if you're like me or most of us, we probably grew up in a version of Christianity where it was all about believing correctly, okay? I don't know, and you don't have to nod your head. You don't have to raise your hand, whatever. I'm just going to tell you from my my point of view, my vantage point, it was all about believing correctly. It almost didn't matter what you did because you could always ask for forgiveness for whatever it is you did, but it is super important what you believe. Amen? I mean, as a pastor, I've been a pastor since I was 19, been in ministry since I was 19, and most guests that come to church, they will walk in, and this has happened, I mean, countless times people walk in they're like man I love it here this is awesome so what do you guys believe because that's the breaking point right there what do you actually believe and and if you've ever studied this you know that belief everything hinges on belief but if you've ever looked into church history if you've ever studied that or if you've ever looked at ancient history or just even a, a microcosm of what the the church from the beginning look like, then you'll understand this. The church actually, when it started its movement, the church went to war against itself. Think about that. I mean, the church argued over words. And the church argued over phrases. The church argued over just peripheral things, over every idea and translation and interpretation. No, I believe that it means this. No, I believe that it means that. No, it doesn't. It means this. Well, then I'll start my denomination. You start your denomination based on what I believe versus what you believe. And that's kind of how it went. But what you might not have known is that from the beginning when the church started, Tens of thousands of people died at the hands 
of religious Christians defending what they believe. The church went to war against itself. They were arrested. People were strangled. All kinds of terrible things happened over the issue or over the question of what's right. Or or more specifically, what's the right thing to believe? And belief is extremely important. But here's the kicker. And this may surprise you, uh, depending on what type of church you you grew up in or, or whether you've been a believer for a long time or maybe you're new to the whole church thing. But here's the kicker. If you read the New Testament and if you ever study or pay attention to the New Testament authors, you'll understand that you'll discover that at the core, they wrote this, all the New Testament authors believe this, that the core beliefs of Christianity are quite simple, they're memorable, and they're actionable, okay? There will always be mystery around the periphery and and interesting things to discuss and theological questions to debate and, and verses that we can dissect and break apart and really dig into. That's always going to be the case, ever, forever. I'm still, I love digging in and discovering new things all the time because I believe that the Word of God is living and it's breathing and it's growing inside of me. But a lot of times what we believe is tougher than actually what we do. But listen, there's an extraordinary, extraordinary clarity at the core. In the region of Caesarea Philippi, and we've talked about this story a lot, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. They're sitting around, you can imagine, maybe a campfire or something. And Jesus asks this question, he says, who do men say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Peter pipes up and he's like, hey, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus goes, that's it. I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. And he says, guys, listen up. I want you to hear this. Upon this statement, this fact that I am, I'm going to build a movement around my identity, around who that I claim to be. And then Jesus goes on and he punctuates that statement with the resurrection. I am the Christ, I am the Son of the living God, and that is the core of our belief system. In fact, most every Christian all around the world, in almost every single language, if you were to bring them all together, we differ on so many of our belief systems. But the core central theme to almost all Christians is this, that Jesus is Christ He is the son of the living God. That's the core. That's the basic of almost every believer. We all have that in common. And then towards the end of his ministry, he says, now that I've I've firmly established this with you, here's what I want you to do. Everybody say do. And he said, I'm going to give you a new command, a new commandment, not a list of commandments, a new command. And so he starts to define it for them. He says, I want you to love one another. And the disciples are probably looking at each other, and they go, well, that's not new. But he wasn't through. Because see, in the law and the prophets, they heard this over and over and over. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? But God's saying something new here. He's defining what he's saying. I want you to love one another. 
not the way you love yourself, but the way I love you. Completely new. This was a unique concept, completely new to the Christian point of view. This was core. It was central. And he said this, by, and this is John 13, 35, by this, this kind of unique love, everyone will know that you are my disciple or my follower or my learner if you love one another. This right here, this is the core. This is the basis, the central point of how we're to be defined as Christians. This is how we're supposed to be recognized as Jesus followers of our love one for another. The rest is just kind of detail. But imagine this. Imagine a world where people skeptical of what we believe are actually envious of how, we, how well we treat each other and are amazed at how well we treat them. People that are skeptical, you know, I, I'm not sure about this whole church, religious thing, God thing. What if they were just blown away because they just can't get over how well we treat them, how we respond to the people who are not sure that if we're crazy or not and how well we treated them. Gandhi said this. Gandhi said, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians are not like him. Now, I was reading these statements and why Gandhi made some of these statements. And here's the story, the backstory why Gandhi said this. So Gandhi was one of the most foremost spiritual leaders of all time. Okay, whether you agreed or disagree, he was the, at the forefront of all things uh, humanitarian and, and supporting humankind, loving people. And so what Gandhi did is oftentimes he read passages from all other religions if they lined up with his belief system. And so he read and studied the Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and he fell in love with Jesus. He thought this Jesus is amazing. So here's his story in his autobiography. He says this, So he went to a Christian church that preached the Gospels in Calcutta, India. And this church happened to be a church that was for whites, or upper-class Indian people, neither of which Gandhi was one of. And at the back door, the ushers or whoever um, stopped him and told him he was not welcome at the church. This is after he's read the Gospels and fell in love with Jesus. He goes on and he makes this statement. He went on and he says, I would absolutely be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. See, long before there were chapters and verses, long before there was uh, the Bible, okay, there was a version of faith. There was a version of Christianity that captured the attention of the world because of how it behaved, not what it believed, not whether it lined up or not with the Bible because there was no Bible. It was how people behaved. It was how they acted. It was how they responded. It was the compassion that they showed to one another. And it started a movement that changed the world. I was talking to a, an adjuster at a, I, I'm selling roofs on the side now. I was talking to an adjuster this week and 
he made a statement, and I said, but here's the thing that I'm fascinated by, is that sinners would get in the presence of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't say anything about the sin, and they would just say, you know, like Zacchaeus, he's like, you know what, I'm going to give back everything that I've stolen, and four times over. Jesus wasn't even talking about what he had stolen. And it's just the love, the compassion, the generosity that Jesus showed to people compelled them to make a change. I want to be like that guy. There was a version of faith that did things, a version of faith that made people want to be true before they were able to even believe that it could actually be true. And so we look at John, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, who was there with Jesus from the very beginning of time, when Jesus stepped onto the pages, and John was there when, when Jesus goes to be baptized by the other John, John the Baptist. And John is there, and John is friends with Jesus. He has a front row seat to everything that Jesus did. And now John is an old man. And, and John, he's watched his friends die. The, we believe at this time when he wrote this, perhaps the city of Jerusalem had already been sacked and destroyed. The temple had already been destroyed and burnt. Peter was dead. The apostle Paul was dead. We don't know exactly what happened to the other apostles by this time when he writes this. But he might have been the last man standing. And John was the first person to put into print that we know of that God is love, a uniquely Christian idea. That same John, he writes to first century Christians, and here's what he says. And this may bother some of you just a little bit, depending on what kind of, of church you grew up in or how you are raised or your version of Christianity. But if you're not a Christian or you used to be or maybe you're just toying with this idea, I hope that this statement opens you up to this message of Christ because it's such a powerful message. But here's what John said. Now remember, when John says this, he knew Jesus, okay? He wasn't a writing third person or just, you know, from a, another point of view. He actually knew Jesus. And for just a minute, I want you to suspend your imagination. We did this when we... We went through Bible 101. I want you to not imagine that I'm reading from the Bible. I want you to imagine just for a moment that I'm reading from a document of an eyewitness who saw Jesus crucified and saw Jesus raised from the dead. And he's writing this document to men and women who were not eyewitnesses, but who had become followers of Jesus based on the the rumors and the stories and everything that they heard. So he's writing this to them, and this is what John wrote. He says, for this is the message you. Now, he's talking to first century believers now who, who weren't actually there when Jesus died. He said, this is the message you heard from the beginning. In other words, from the very moment that you entertain the fact that Jesus might be the Son of God, from the very beginning of your faith journey, here's what you were told. We should love one another. So John's writing this, and he's saying, look, people, this is basics, 101. This is bottom line. This is the beginning. This is the foundation. You've heard this from the very beginning. You started hearing the message of Christ about Christ crucified and then raising from the dead. From the very beginning of that time, when this movement started, you've heard this message that we should as believers, as followers of Christ, love one another. 
And then he goes on and he illustrates it with a story from the Old Testament about Cain and Abel. And then we get to verse number 14. And he says this. We know, in other words, we have certainty, we are confident that we have passed from death, everybody say death, to life. Everybody say life. Because, because why? Because the Bible tells me so? No. There is no Bible. That's not why he knew that. It wasn't because the Bible tells me so. John was actually writing the Bible. He just didn't know he was writing the Bible at the time. Why? It, it, we know this because we know what we're to believe. No, it has nothing to do with that. He says we have, we have confidence in this. Not, according to John, who actually knew Jesus, he says, we know that we pass from death. And he's not talking about, you know, hell or whatever. He's talking about a, a spiritual death. You're not producing life. You're not living life to the fullest. He says we've passed from death to life because we love each other. We love each other. If you want to pass from death to life, if you want to live life to the very fullest, if you want to have the joy that comes with, with life, you only find that when you learn to love one another. He goes on, he says, anyone, now this is really awesome. He says, anyone who does not love remains in death. Okay? You're not producing life. You're just a miserable person. Don't raise your hand, but anybody know a miserable person? You can nod. Don't do this. Okay? <laughs> but we know, we know people who are miserable. And he says, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderers has eternal life residing in them. Again, they use that word eternal life. It doesn't mean afterlife. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking about the age ending, aeonios, zoe. It's talking about life right now, during my lifetime. Okay, you don't have life living in them. And then he says, and this is how we know what love is. Because it's not just this general love, like, oh, I love you, I love you too. Oh, I love pizza, and I love, you know, whatever. I love this TV show. It's not just this general kind of love, but it's a very unique brand of love. And he says, this is how we know what love is. And then he says something that a lot of times we miss, maybe because of how we were brought up or how we interpret the Bible, how we read the Bible. But he says, this is how we know what love is. Something happened. Something happened. <laughs> and John says, I saw it happen. The reason I can write and say that God is love is because something happened. And I was an eyewitness to what happened. I'm not just, just talking about something that I heard through the grapevine. But I'm talking about a piece of history that I saw with my very own eyes. And I'm writing it down so that you can understand what I saw. He says, I saw something happen. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He says, you want, you want to know how I know what love is? What love is? I'll tell you. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And here's what stands at the epicenter of Christian faith. Here's what stands at the epicenter of all we say that we believe, all that we have embraced, and all that comes with following Jesus. He says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And in light of that, here's what, not what we ought to believe. 
So he didn't say that. He said, in light of knowing that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Do. It's actionable. The core belief of Christian faith is actionable. It's not so much about believe. And, and people in history are start fighting about, no, we believe this, no, we believe that. And John's going, listen, I'm just telling you, it's not even really about what's up in here. It's about what you're doing. It's the life that you're living. And he says, he's, he's talking to the first century reader. Maybe you're thinking what they're thinking. Okay, so who are my brothers and sisters? And if you read the rest of John, John makes it kind of clear that who he's talking about is other believers. But then Jesus steps in, and Jesus goes, hold up, John. Hang on. You're right. You're absolutely right. It is other believers. But let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a parable about a good Samaritan, about just a Samaritan at the time. We, we kind of coined that good Samaritan part. Let me tell you the story about the Samaritan. And he goes in and he tells them this unbelievable story. And, and the reason he's telling them this story, and Jesus kind of teases it out a little bit because there's this lawyer, and the lawyer's going to go, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, listen. So I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and my neighbor is other Jewish people, right? Jesus said, no. That's not who your neighbor is. And in this one moment, Jesus changed the world. He redefined, and especially for us, maybe you sit here this morning and it's not that big of a deal. But if you're a Jew, during this time, this is mind-blowing. You want to talk about people just like freaking out because you're messing with their theology and the way that they grew up and born away. I mean, Jesus totally blew it out of the water. Because their neighbor up to this point was other Jews. Other believers, people like them. It's easier to like people like me, you know. That's why we come to church and it's easier to smile. Because for the most part, they're kind of like us. We like them, whatever, even though we don't even know them. But Jesus goes on he says, no, that's not it. And he tells this incredible story about the Good Samaritan. We did a whole series on this a couple years ago called Get Off Your Donkey. We should have done the King James Version, but we just did the regular version, get off your donkey, but Jesus tells this incredible story, and then he throws in this punchline that's just powerful, and at the end of the story, he says this, your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet, that's the punchline, that's the story, so my neighbor's a Jew, right, sure, and also a Gentile, right, yeah, oh yeah, and the person that lives on my block, and the person that lives across the city, and the person that works in the same place. Your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet, whether it's Jew or Gentile or live in your neighborhood or not. Anyone that you run across to, your brothers and sisters, <coughs> those people around you that have needs. And then Jesus illustrates what he said when he went to the cross, Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave his son's life. Okay, John. Okay, we get it. We get it. So short of dying for my brothers and sisters, short of dying for my neighbors, short of physically, literally laying down my life for my brothers and sisters and my neighbors and blah, 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 blah. What exactly does this look like, you know, meeting other people's needs? And John would say, if he was here, 
I'm so glad you asked. But you might be sorry. <laughs> he says this. He defines it narrowly. He says anyone. Everybody say anyone. Anyone who has material possessions. So all of you in this room that have any material possessions, raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you don't understand what material possessions means. That means that you have anything. You have stuff, okay? Anyone who has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, and what he says next is so graphic that the English translation of what he says we kind of dumbed it down and kind of uh, cleaned it up a little bit. Here's what he says. We use the NIV version a lot here at uh, the exchange. Here's what it says in the NIV. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need and has no pity on them. That's, that's how the, new, the NIV says it. But that's not what the Greek says. So this week I got to pull up on your computer. You can go and you can pull up a Greek keyboard. It's really fun. And it's really difficult because <laughs> you don't know what it says. But I was able to copy this so that I could put it down for you on a, on a slide. And I practiced saying it so that I could show you, even though it doesn't look like it says what it says, I'm going to tell you exactly what it says. This is what the Greek text actually says. It says this. Klese ta spagna altu at altu. Okay? That klese ta spagna stuff, that's just how you say it. How you pronounce it? Klese ta spagna, altu altu. That literally means shuts up the bowels of him from him. Okay? So that word kleno, that verb kleno, you know what it means? It means to prevent. Now, this is graphic. and I apologize, but this is what John said. This word means to prevent passage at an opening. To prevent passage at an opening. I'm just going to say one more time. I want you to get this picture in your head. To prevent passage, don't make me paint your picture, okay? To prevent passage at an opening. The word means to prevent passage at an opening. This is that what that word means. Now, the King James translation back in 1611, they actually didn't try to clean it up as much. They just went for it. And here's the King James version of that verse. It says this, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. That's how it kind of says it in Greek. In other words, let me translate what John is saying. If you see a brother or a sister in need, you pass by someone and they have a need and suddenly you get financially constipated, you're full of something, but it's not the love of God. This is what John's saying. This is in your Bible, people. It is in the Bible. Go read this out. If anyone has material possessions and he sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, and he goes on and he asks a question. He asks a question that you should probably ask yourself, that we should, that I am asking myself, that as a church we should be asking ourselves a question that maybe had we been answering this question correctly from the beginning, there wouldn't be so many people now resistant to the Jesus message. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, in other words, closes up on the inside, their heart shuts down, their compassion shuts down, he says this, how can the love of God be in that person? That's a pretty strong statement there, John. Here's why John uses such graphic language and Man, this has ministered to me all week long, thinking about this and trying to put myself in John's shoes. Is because John saw Jesus die. He was there with, with Jesus' mom. They're looking up at the cross, and he sees how everybody's treating him. He sees everything he goes through to lead up to this moment. And John is there. It's recorded that John is there at the cross. And he saw Jesus die. And so John, in that moment, John understood the price that Jesus paid for his sin. And, and it didn't all make sense until a little bit later to John. He, he puts it all together afterwards because in the moment... You know, Jesus was preaching and teaching that he was the Christ, the Messiah. You know, Jesus was claiming things about himself that hadn't been proven. And John now has to watch him die. And, and thinking all along that he was who he claimed to be. And then he dies and he's not who he claimed to be. And then just a few days later, he's alive. And John saw the price that was paid for his sins the price that was paid for your sins. This is not a story that he heard. This was something that he witnessed with his very own eyes. And so imagine that. Imagine you see your best friend, your rabbi, crucified. You had hoped he was the son of God. And then a few days later, you're sitting there having breakfast with that crucified rabbi. And he is, in fact, he proved to be who he claimed to be. And then you understand that what Jesus said when he said, look, the Son of Man, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And not only to serve, I came to give my life as a ransom to pay for everybody else. Everyone else. Isn't that powerful? So who are we? John sees this. He witnesses that. In fact, the other men and women that were there and saw Jesus die and saw Jesus crucified, they understood. They especially understood the language John's using when he talks about shutting up his bowels from within him. He understood because he's saying, who are we? How dare we shut our hearts and our minds? How dare we shut our compassion down in light of need? In light of everything that God's done for us. I watched him pay a price. I watched him raise from the dead and become everything that he said he was. I see the price that he paid. How can we not pay that price? How can we not give in light of need? John could not imagine a financially constipated Jesus follower. That would blow his mind. If you were standing here today, that would blow his mind. 
This was a contradiction in terms in light of what God had done for him, in light of what God had done for me, in light of what God had done for all of us. How could we, how could we withhold anything? If seeing a need that we can meet, this is what John's saying, that you and I, we have to meet this need. If, if when you see a need, it causes you to freeze up. It causes you to close up, shut up, whatever. Whatever word you want to use, when it causes that, then, then you don't get it. This is what John is saying. Then you don't understand Jesus. Jesus has become a, a fairy book character to you. This story of Jesus has been so far in the distant past that you're having a hard time even connecting it with real life right now. This is what John's saying. Because if you see a person in need and you can just shut yourself up and walk by them and not do something, not have compassion, not spare just an extra amount of change or just some time that you have, then you just don't get who Jesus is. John is saying Jesus gave his life for you. And when you see someone in need, you need to think this. Jesus Gave his life for him, for her. He, he literally laid down his life and paid a price for this person that I'm looking at right now. He paid a price for this person that I have an opportunity to bless. Whether it's just a few dollars or a few minutes or some of my extra whatever it is. John understood that we would be happy to do for others what others can't in that moment do for themselves. This is what John thought would probably happen, that people would grasp this because he saw it. Now, have you ever, like, seen something? Like, you know, you went to um, a monster truck show or and you saw something spectacular that just blew you away, and then you're just like, oh, you're buzzing, and you're so fired up about it, and then you go to try to tell somebody, and they're like, Oh, that's awesome. And you're like, dude, but I'm, I, do you even hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you, and they're like, yeah, man, that's, I bet that was awesome. You don't even get it, do you? Because, and that's probably where John's at when he's writing this. It's because John saw something, and it just would not make sense to him why we aren't all 100% on board. John would agree, we may not always know what to believe outside of our core belief system. But in light of what Christ did for us, we should always know what to do. In light of what Christ did for us, we should always know what love requires of us. And just to be clear, this is not about the golden rule, okay? The golden rule is... I'm going to do for you what I want you to do for me. This is not that way. It's not the way it works. This is I'm going to do for you in light of what's already been done for me. I'm going to do something for you because somebody already did something for me that I could never pay back. So back to John's letter real quickly. I'm going to get ready to close in just a minute. Do... He says this, Dear children, 
Let us not love with words or speech. In other words, let us not just come to church and sing about it and preach about it. Don't just uh, do that, but with action. With action. This is amazing. With action and in truth. And then he says, and this is not just an add-on. This is an extra credit. This isn't just another bonus application to Christianity. He says, this is how we know. This is the part that could be very disruptive to your theology. And I apologize, but I want you to go study this out. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. Okay? So he's telling you, there's a way that you know how we belong to the truth. How you know that you're a child of God. How you know that your heart has been set and you can rest assured in his presence. How you can have that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, right? That song just popped right in my head. Again, listen, this could be new to you, but John says that assurance of your salvation, that assurance of where you stand with your heavenly father, that assurance is not based on a prayer that you prayed when you grew up in church like me. Or a prayer that you prayed again and again and again. And if you were like me, you prayed that prayer very often. Okay? Very often. You prayed it over and over and over because you had to get right. You had to get right. You had to get right. You had to make sure. You had to make sure. And John says this. It's not about this prayer that you prayed. He's, I don't even know where you came up with that. It's not the assurance of where you stand with God in a prayer, but it's the life that you live. It's the life that you live. He goes on, he talks about it's the love that you do. The love that you do. Because as a Christian, as a modern Christian, even with all the tools and with all the translations and all the commentaries and all the seminary trained people that bring these incredible tools to us, these incredible translations, as a Christian, we still, with all of this at our fingertips, we still might not know exactly what to believe. But we almost always know what love requires us to do. Right? Think about that. I mean, I mean, just in your own personal life, it doesn't have to be related to church per se, but think about things that you believed when you were a kid that have changed over the years. You're just belief systems. Things that you thought. There are things I believed about taxes that changed over the years as I grew older. Some things you believe actually get worse. But I'm telling you, it requires, love requires us to do some things. It requires us to give. Love requires us to serve. And it requires us to love. One of the things that I believe, and, and as the pastor of the exchange, that I want you to believe with me, and I'm going to challenge you with this belief system, is that everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. If we could ever really figure that out, you know that could just change some things. If you look to every person, that person that just ticked you, they just cut right in front of you. They're not paying any attention. If we could just get in our head that that person really matters to God. See, growing up, our excuse is, well, yeah, but they're not even Christian. They're not even a believer. Whether or not God matters to them. For God so loved the whole entire world that he gave 
He gave his only son, knowing that very few people would actually know about it, knowing that very few people would actually even respond to the fact that he did that, knowing that not everybody even cares that he did that, knowing that a couple thousand years later, it would just be a story from just an old book telling us some ancient story a long time ago. Everyone matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. This is something that the Apostle Paul actually wrote to his protege, Timothy, when he was a young man. Paul hoped that Timothy was going to come up and take his place. And Paul says this to Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now listen, that's really most of us. Now, you may not think you're rich because you can always find somebody around you richer. (laughs) But believe it or not, most of us are considered rich in this present world. I mean, most of you have houses for your cars, okay? Think about that. All right? That'll hit some of you in about 20 minutes. Oh, I did it. He says this. Command those who are rich in this present world to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I want you to act the way you are. I want you to live out. I want you to manifest what God has blessed you with, with your extra, with your running over the things that God has done for you. In fact, you live where you live, and you have what you have. And yes, there's always people that have more, but don't get blinded by that. There's always people also that has less. And he tells people, who are rich in this present world to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous, and be willing to share. Here's the thing. I don't know everyone in this room really, really well on a, on a personal level, individual level, but I can almost say this with certainty. None of you want to be labeled as selfish, right? None of us really want to be characterized as a selfish Person, We all in our hearts would like to do good with the things that's been given to us. And so a lot of us, the issue is we just don't know how, right? Well, this morning I'm going to help you, okay? We have homework uh, this week, and we did this a few years ago, but I'm going to help kickstart this week off. This is Thanksgiving week, and I want to help you take the first step in meeting the needs of people around you. When I say people around you, I'm talking about everyone around you. Republican, Democrat, I don't know, I don't care kind of thing. Okay? I mean, they're going to debate themselves into a hole in the ground, but they can fight it out next November or whatever. You can all get involved. That's not about that. I'm talking about people right now. Every person without a label on their chest, without a label on their forehead. People that we can reach out to, that we can see needs and fulfill those needs. What if we were to make a difference? What if people were to see us making a difference? What if we started acting like Jesus? And in light of what Jesus did, we did something extraordinary. Jay, if you'll come and help me out. I want you to think about this this week. What we're going to do is we, we bought everyone in this room a gift card. This is a, a reverse offering. Okay, it's a lot of times you come to church and and they ask you for an offering and we still will do that. (laughs) 
But that's how we pay the light bill. That's how we do things. But what I, what I was thinking about this week is what if we started eliminating the excuses because some of the excuses is, that we use all the time is, man, if I could, I would. Right? Man, we say that all the time. Oh, man, if I could, I would. Well, you know what? I always can't. There's a lot of things going on in my personal finances right now. But every chance I get to bless someone, I try to bless someone. If I can do anything in light of what Jesus Christ did for me, man, the least I can do is just bless somebody. I bless people that I don't have any, you know, that that are better than me. They have more than me. And it's just because I really want to be a blessing. I always feel blessed to be a blessing. And if I stop being a blessing, I feel that I might stop being blessed so much. So what if we were just a blessing to people? And so I wanted to eliminate the excuse this morning of, well, I just really can't because I don't have it right now. So what we did is we bought gift cards for everyone in the church. Now I'm going to say this. If you want, you can get on text to give. TJ, if you'll put up the text to give. You can get on text to give and you can text back your $25 or whatever because I'm going to give everybody a $25 gift card. And I challenge you, if you can, if you have that, give it back. That's okay. But what I want to do is I want us all to walk out of this place without an excuse. And I want to walk out of this place with something in our hand that says this week or in the next two weeks, I'm going to do something with this. And if you text to give, it's really easy to do. We've had questions all the time about, so how does that work? All you do is you text that number and then you put in an amount like, $100 or $50, whatever, and then you put in next to it what it's going to go to. And be general, like offering or, or missions or something like that. And they'll send you a link, and you can put in your debit information or credit card information. And then from then on, anytime you go and text to give, it's really easy, and it just happens like that. In fact, I've forgotten my checkbook the last several weeks at church, and so I've been having to text to give because I keep forgetting about it. So if you want to do that, you can do that. But here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask everyone. um, Let me grab these. I'm going to ask everyone this morning to take a gift card. And if you're standing at the pump or you're by somebody and you're getting gas and the Holy Spirit lays somebody on your heart, I want you to go over there to them and say, you know what? Let me put this on your gas. Let me give this to you. You don't have to say, I'm from the Exchange Church. You should come and check us out. Our pastor's redhead. You know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to say that. But what if you were in the line at grocery store and you saw a lady and she's she's frustrated because she's chugging her kids around and she's just having one of those days and you say, you know what? Can I put this on your groceries? Will you use this on your groceries this afternoon? And you just bless somebody. What if? What if all of us just gave this? It's it's really that it hasn't cost you anything, right? Because I mean, I'm giving it to you. You don't have to give it back. I'm not even going to know if you give it back or not. So don't feel like next Sunday you're going to come in and I'm be like, oh, you didn't pay us back, and you didn't pay us back, and you did. Because I I don't expect anybody to pay us back. But I know that there's some people who go, oh no, I can I have it. And if you want to give it back. It'll go towards our building program. But we're sowing this into our community. We want to make a difference. 
how can I look more like Jesus? What can I do to make people go, wow, where, where did that come from? And you don't have to say, I'm just trying to look like Jesus. People will pick up on it. People will pick up on it, that you're different, that there's something different. And if it opens up a conversation, fine. But this isn't, this isn't for you to witness and try to win somebody over to the good guy's side or whatever. This is for you to say, you know what? I just want to meet a need because you're my neighbor. And I can do this. I think it's that kind of concept right there that would change the world. I mean, it was changing the world at once. And, and, and unfortunately, I hate to say this, but the church kind of got in the way. We started fighting with each other. We started fighting over all kinds of ridiculous things. And the church got in the way. And, and smart people decided, well, I don't want to be a part of that. That's ugly. What if we could just love? Love like crazy. So, Bob Goff, the author, wrote this. Adriana had it. I don't know if she posted or told me about it. And I said, oh, send that to me. I need it for my message Sunday. He said this. When I say I don't have time, what I really lack is compassion. People own watches. Love owns time. What if, what if we got a hold of this? Do you think maybe it could change somebody's life? I've been, I've had bad days before, and you just, you know, you're just grouchy, and everything's going wrong, and somebody will send a text or something and just tell me they love me or they appreciate me. Everything in your day, your world, just changes. It just changes. What if we became that to people, to people around us, to people in need? So I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning. I'm Chris and Patrick, if you guys would come help me out. There's two, two buckets right here. I'm going to ask them to pass this out. And everyone, if you will, will you take one, please? Please just take one. And I want you to pray. Say, God, give me a moment. Give me this great moment where I can bless somebody's life. Now, listen, I want to make sure that you understand this is not some secret ploy to get someone into our church. Okay? So I'm not asking you to go around and say, listen, I represent the exchange, and we're passing out gift cards to everybody. That's not what this is about. This is an opportunity to love people now. With that said, if you have a great story, I want to hear about it. I want to hear some of these great stories because, you know, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Some of the stories that, that you're going to come in contact with, some of the stories that you're going to create, they're going to set people free. And so if you have a great story, I want you to send that to me, text me, email me. Uh, you can private Facebook message me, or you can post about it. Say whatever you want to say. We have a hashtag that we use on special occasions. What is it? Adriana, our hashtag. Yeah, you see how much I use it. I am the exchange. Hashtag I am the exchange. Hashtag whatever. I don't really hashtag often because I'm not a good hashtagger. But uh, so you can use that. So everybody got their cards? Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, let's get these guys up here. Make sure everybody gets a card. 
make sure that you have an opportunity to use this and share it with us. And, and uh, make sure that the ones in the back also get those. But everybody, take your card. I'm going to pray. We're going to dismiss this morning. Again, if you wanted to, uh, Adriana's being very uh, inconspicuous here. None of you even saw her up here. <laughs> no, I thank you. I just had to do that. Oh, that's funny. Um, but let's pray. Let's pray for a moment. And if you want to support, if you want to give to the church, we, we put it up there how you can. We have offering things in the back. You can do that. But this morning, what we wanted to do is we wanted to kickstart an opportunity for you to do something. And my real mission, my prayer, is that you get addicted to this. That you get addicted to just loving people and serving people and giving to people. Because I'm addicted to it, and I love it. I love it. I love it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for this precious group of men and women that are here. God, these awesome families. I pray that this week they just have an amazing week. Uh, as Thanksgiving week rolls around, I pray that they're able, some of them are able to rest. I pray that they're able to spend time with family. God, and for those that maybe this is their first Thanksgiving after having lost someone close to them, God, I pray that your supernatural arms will just wrap around them uh, this week and that you'll just give them that peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, I pray that you'll go with us this week, that you'll bless us. I pray that in everything that we do, we find favor. Lord, but I especially pray over these gift cards. God, I pray over a moment that each one of us will just have this really, really powerful God moment. This Kairos moment. Father, that we're able to stand face to face with someone. And maybe for the first time in their life, they're able to look into our eyes and see Jesus. John saw something that blew him away. And in light of what he saw, he, he coined that you are love, Jesus. God, and I pray that when we walk out of that place, that every person that comes in contact with us would feel the same way. We just give you all the praise, Father. We give you all the glory. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody shout it, amen. Amen. Have a fabulous week. We bless you guys.